Today's scripture reading comes from John 6, verses 1 through 15 and 25 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his, his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to take, come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, If we haven't had the opportunity to meet one another, my name's Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you haven't already, just as a quick little side note, grabbed one of these little journals. They're on the edge of your chairs there. It's a great place to have something daily to engage as we're walking through um, our series. It's also got a great spot in there to take notes on Sundays. If you're like, man, I forgot my piece of paper. 
I love to scribble down all the things that is really cheesy in Gabe's sermon. This is a great place to do that. Um, So it's great to be with you, but with that in mind, why don't we go ahead and pray together. God, I'm grateful for the ways that you brought us together on a sunny day, and yet we come seeking your light. May you shed light on your word. May you shed light on our lives. May you guide us in your truth. And whatever's going on in our hearts, whatever is going on in our minds, may we not act like it's not there. May we not turn off our hearts and our minds in these spaces, but instead, God, would you guide us to bring our full selves to be surrendered to you? May we rest and say, God, this is where I'm at, (laughs) and anticipate you meeting us there. So, God, we love you. Thanks for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your word. We trust that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, No, you're great. Don't worry about it. Listen, hey, if we can't have a phone go off, I don't know what world we're living in, you know? You're so awesome. I'm so glad they're in here. That's a real treat. Thank you so much for bringing them to church. That's that's killer. Um, So here's a question for us. I'm curious. I want you to imagine for just a second a world without any signs. A world without any signs. Um... Now, for me, I find it difficult already to walk through the grocery store, right? Like, I don't know where half of the things are, and I find myself, what my wife can get done very quickly, I find, like, I have no idea where half the things are, but I still go sometimes, and I'm still lost. But imagine if there were no signs, like these ones here. Like, how would you know the difference between spices and poisons, right? (laughs) Like, ooh, this paprika is killer, Uh, See, that's one of those spots you could have journaled about, cheesy moments in Cape Sermon. Um, imagine, think about this, highways, roads, that's maybe one of the easiest ones. No signs? Like, how would you give anybody directions? Oh, it's the third right after the second left of that third rock. It's like, ugh, I'm doing a Zoom call, right? That's no way. I'm not going to figure out how to get there. Signs are a gift in many ways. They guide us in, in the direction we want to go. They help, help point us in the way we should go. And yet there are plenty of us in the world who want to ignore signs altogether. Um, and, and, and I don't know why we do this to ourselves, but here's an example. Here's one particular sign and one particular opportunity. Let's say the beach, right? Um, you see, I don't know if you see, keep out, beach closed, toxic material is actually what that says down low. And it's like, hey, toxic material or not, I got to get that tan, right? You got to get out on the beach. It's beach season. Um, so sometimes we ignore signs altogether. Um, another one we might ignore is kind of trying to get that selfie. It's like, danger, don't go to the cliff's edge. You know, I think I've got this um, because there's nothing more important than the everlasting selfie, even if my life ends here today off this cliff. Um, and then, of course, there's the uh, last sign, um, speed limit. None of us pay attention to that sign. It's, it's speed suggestion. It also says 88. I know, that's why I put that up there. There's clearly, and there's a high score of who can... I thought that was creative forever (laughs) did that. And they've got names, like they're outing people. Um, uh, But here's the deal. There are plenty of times in our life where we ignore signs. But when it's something we really care about, we go looking for signs, don't we? It's like, give me some signs. Give me some guidance. And that's really what we're going to see here. We're all looking for signs of life. That's the name of our series. We all want to know that we're headed on a trajectory. We're headed on a path towards what's good. 
what's beautiful, what's true in the world. Nobody wants to live in a make-believe world. Nobody wants to head towards what's broken and evil. Nobody is looking for disgust and what is disturbing to define their life. We all want what's true and good and beautiful, and we want to know, have some signs that we're actually headed in that trajectory. And here's what's really good news for us, is that when you look across the pages of Scripture and you see how God's worked in history, God wants that for you too. God wants what's good and true and beautiful to come to define your life because of the gospel. And when we come to the gospel of John, we see that Jesus makes these signs very clear. He's highlighting the path to life and where and from whom we receive life. This language of signs is kind of a literary tool across the gospel account of John. And so as we pick ourselves back up into John, some of you, if you're new, we actually started the gospel account of John in January, went through it for a little while right before Easter. We took a short break in the wonderful, uplifting book of Ecclesiastes. Thank God it's over. You know what? God <laughs> brings us through hills and valleys, you know. But there were gifts in the midst of that. And now we're returning to the gospel account of John throughout the summer. We're going to spend 10 weeks together looking at these signs of life. And so, like hungry people on a long road trip, you know, looking for that food exit, um, we get to find out where food is found, where the deepest satisfaction of our soul can be met. So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles or your Bible apps to John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the back table there for you to take home to have as a gift from us. Um, and if you're looking in your Bibles, it goes Matthew, so the second Roughly the second half or the last third of the Bible, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, John chapter 6. And in the passage that was just read for us, we actually find a whole host of people who took a road trip to come and find Jesus. And right here in verse 5, we're going to just start here, we see Jesus lifts up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where do we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, of course, he's asking this question we see in the next, the next verse to test Philip a little bit. Um, but also, here's what I don't want us to miss. Jesus sees the weariness and the hunger of the people coming. Before they say a word, before they're even there, he sees the people coming and he sees that they're hungry. And so I just want to say, if you're here today and you're longing, you've got a deep desire and you feel like you're starving in the midst of your life, I want you to know that Jesus sees that. Long before you even ask for his help, he sees you. And he specifically sees the places where you're longing. And here, he meets them in a pretty miraculous way. And everybody who was there recognizes this. And this is what's also interesting. This particular story, this feeding of this large group of people, it's one of the only miracles that shows up in all four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all zero in here. And part of it has to do with how much food is left over, okay? But I'm, I'm jumping ahead. So what we find here is you've got all these people who are hungry, and then there's this boy that comes in verse, uh, verse 9, we see he brings barley loaves, five barley loaves, and two fish. Now, interestingly, t interesting thing to note here is that barley was the food of the lower class. The upper class were the only ones who really ate wheat-oriented bread. So this is a lower class meal, and he's bringing together these two fish that were probably salted or pickled in, in terms of preservation, and they bring it to Jesus, and Jesus uses, in many cases, the 
the least of the, these kinds of food, the one that most people wouldn't necessarily ask for at their table. He takes the food that this younger, poorer boy brings, the very few meager resources, and he does something astounding. He feeds some 5,000 people. And then I'm going to hit the pause button there again because this isn't just 5,000 people. It was really common to count the men in a crowd, the head of households, to kind of give you an idea. And everybody reading this would have understood there were more than 5,000. Frankly, it was probably more around 20,000 people who were there, if you think about these men as heads of household. Just to give you an idea, I was was doing a little research. The T-Mobile Center here downtown holds 18,972 people. Right. Like, we can read this, like, oh, 5,000 people. That's a really school, you know, full school mess hall. No, no, no. This was a large group of people, a huge amount of people. Jesus has the T-Mobile Center packed out. <laughs> and they're coming to here. And not only that, does he take these five little barley loaves and these two fish, and he feeds all of them. There's all these leftovers, 12 basketfuls, which I grew up in a single-parent household. I just, this is one of those signs that I know Jesus grew up in a single-parent household because he's like, what are we doing with all these leftovers? Who's got the Tupperware? We're not wasting anything, right? And he's like, we're going to get 12 baskets. Now, here's the deal. Honestly, these 12 baskets, they came with extreme metaphorical meaning. But don't miss this. Jesus ends with leftovers more than what he began with. Don't miss, that's astounding. Five barley loaves, two fish, now 12 basketfuls? Even the leftovers are more than what he started with. And everybody just sits in the beauty of this moment and are pretty astounded. And they don't sit for very long because in the midst of this, they all see this. And we heard it read in our text there in verse 13. They saw the sign and they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And so what do they do? They go and try to king him in the midst of that. And you're you're thinking to yourself, Last time somebody showed up with some food, I didn't think I'm going to make him king. So what's going on here to understand the dynamic of the text and the dynamic of the time in which the text is presenting? You see, there was deliverance in the air. The Roman Empire had been oppressing the people of Israel for some time now, and they're longing for deliverance. And John, the gospel writer here, with the imagination of the Hebrew scriptures and what God has done in the past, he can't help but see parallels He sees that the people of Israel are in the wilderness. When was the last time they were in the wilderness? They've come to a mountain. When was the last time they came to a significant mountain? God's always meeting his people at a mountain, but also his unique time when they were in the wilderness and God met them at a mountain. They just had Passover. You heard that read. That's a unique meal when they are remembering when God brought liberation of Israel from Egypt and that was done through God's work and they eat that meal always in remembrance and how God has brought about a people. And then they remember what Moses even said in Deuteronomy 18. Look for a prophet like me, he says. Deuteronomy 18.5. And all of these pieces are pulling together, and there's even more going on there. And they think, surely this is the Messiah. This is the one. All of the feelings, all the different pieces of what God has done before, he's doing it again. And so they're like, it's time to make this guy king. And then Jesus disappears. (laughs) the life of the party is gone. And they're like, what in the world? And then I love in verse 22, it wasn't read for us on purpose because there's a lot of text here. But in verse 22, it says the next day. This is meant to highlight, right? This happens the very next day. They're looking for Jesus. And then verse 25, they find him. And then in verse 26, 
What does Jesus say? He says the thing. He says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs. There's the language signs again. But because you ate your fill of the loaves. For them, it was all about the food. More food. They're hungry. And and what's important is Jesus meets them there in his needs. I'm not going to ever discount the physical needs. He never calls us to be less than creatures. He meets us in our creaturely needs. But simultaneously, while he's meeting their needs in that space, it was always to point them beyond that. Not to just stop at feeling satisfied in the moment, to go after the heart and the depths of who they are. You see, the bread was a signpost to something better. It's kind of like driving along the highway and you see that sign that says food coming and then you just pull over and you start sinking your teeth into the metal. That's not going to work. Sure, it's, it's pointing to something, but it's not going to satisfy what you're longing for. And so Jesus, he tries to explain as he's walking through this and he says, listen, listen, you, you, you ate the food that perishes, but I've come to actually give you something that actually will endure forever. I've come to give you a different kind of food. And they're they're like, oh, you mean like the manna, right? Like the manna. And so they start to think back in their history where God showed up and gave them manna, which literally means what is it? And that's this kind of stuff that showed up on the ground in the morning that tasted and felt kind of like bread that God provided for his people throughout the wilderness. And Jesus is like, well, kind of, but not really. And Moses isn't the one who provides that for you. Actually, it's the (laughs) father who provides that for you, and he's providing you a better bread. And then they say, well, give us that bread always. What's with this guy? We just want the bread. (laughs) And yet they have no idea. Jesus is like, I've got something better You were satisfied with the appetizer, but I've got a main meal, and I'm willing to provide that. And over and over again through chapter 6, Jesus keeps explaining where the true satisfaction comes from. There's like three or four different moments where he's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. And they're like, well, give us the bread. And he's like, okay, but that's not what you think it's going to. And over and over, and it's almost like they don't understand or they don't want to understand. And they're hungry, but it's almost as if they don't know what they're hungry for. And so no matter where you're coming from this morning, whatever it is you long, you're longing for, you came into this place and you're thinking, Jesus, I just, I ache, I'm longing, and I'm waiting for you to meet me here. I want you to know that Jesus knows our hunger better than we do. They think they know what they're hungry for, but Jesus is like, I'll meet you there, but there's something deeper. I want to address that hunger too. He knows our hunger better than we do. And he makes it clear exactly where this hunger is guiding us. This deep longing that we often want to ignore, that we continue to miss again and again. And I know it's easy for us to look either at ancient Israel back in what is often called the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures and say, why don't they get it? And then you get here and you're like, why don't they get it? But the reality is we should be asking ourselves, why don't we get it? Because these aren't them, this is us. We should read our own hearts, our own blindness right here on 
display. And if you jump down to verse 35, the passage, the verse that we ended our reading with, Jesus makes abundantly clear then finally what he's saying. He says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. (coughs) That bread back there was pointing you to this bread, the bread, right here. You remember how the manna came from heaven? I came from heaven. You remember when you ate and you experienced a fulfillment just for a moment? I've come to give a different kind of fulfillment that will know no end. If you'll just come to me, and he says, I am the bread of life. Now, I'm going to help you read your Bibles a little bit, too. In the Gospel account of John, you find what are often called I am statements. Why are these significant? This is pointing us back, once again, to Moses and the Exodus, the Passover, all of these rich stories where Moses, he encounters God on a mountain, and God shows up to him in a burning bush. And of course, God's like, I'm going to use you, Moses. Moses is like, I don't think so. And God's like, put your arm in your cloak. And he goes, what in the world just happened? There's all these types of things, these astounding moments. But then finally, Moses says, fine, I'll go. But who am I to say, sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Yahweh. I am who I am. And so what Jesus is saying right here, he's not just saying, I am the bread of life. He's saying, I am the bread of life. I'm not just the bread, I'm the provider of the bread. I am God incarnate, come to fulfill the very depths of your longings and your desires. I'm here. And there's your sign. You know, there's earlier point in the conversation, they're like, well, if this is really who you are, why don't you give us manna? He's like, just like I did yesterday? (laughs) I mean, yesterday. he's come to give bread to us. I'm going to say something that sounds really churchy, but it's got extraordinary depth to it if we just sit in it. You see, what Jesus is highlighting, what John doesn't want us to miss, is that only Jesus can satisfy us forever, and he wants to. It's not like Jesus is begrudging, like, you know what, I can satisfy you, but I don't know if I'm in the mood today. He's gone to extraordinary lengths, God becoming flesh, that he might be the bread we need, that we might feast on him, because he wants us to know wholeness. Don't miss what he wants for you. This is who he is. You know, for me, I can have like the best meal ever. And I mean like one of those you just get so stuffed you almost feel sick. Oh, that's great. Um, (laughs) You know, you know, it borderlines on gluttony. It, it becomes gluttony if you do it all the time, right? Um, but if you do it sometimes, moderation, I don't know. <laughs> then you go and you take like a really good nap. What happens, at least for me, the moment I wake up from that nap is like, mm, I wonder if there's any of them leftovers, right? <laughs> N- it never fails like, oh, that was good. Like you, you suddenly find yourself longing again because the sickness wore off. <laughs> right? and, and even with my kids, all three of them, um, as soon as they turned three years old, we would finish breakfast, we try to have breakfast together, and then usually about five minutes after breakfast, usually around age three, they start to pick up the patterns, and it's like five minutes after breakfast, when are we going to have snacks? <laughs> we just finished breakfast, yes. but that's us. There's some laughing over there from my kiddos, they know. 
That's us. We never really grow out of that, except we now have different kinds of snacks. Achievement. Oh, I, I, God, you got me through this, but when are you going to get me through this? God, you got me this promotion. Yeah, but when are you going to get me here? God, oh, yes, you brought these friends in my life, but when are you going to bring me this spouse? Oh, God, you brought me this spouse, but when are you going to give me these friends? God, you brought me to this sort of financial stability, but when are you going to bring me to this? Always this constant pursuit, and this is really a review of what we saw in Ecclesiastes. When you chase after those things, they're not going to satisfy you. And even Jesus says, you remember that manna? God gave them manna in the wilderness, but then they died. If you keep reading through John chapter 6, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God gave them the manna, and then they died in the wilderness. Don't miss that. I've come to give you a manna, a bread from heaven that will go forever, that will know no death, such that even when death comes, I've got the power of resurrection. And it's a better bread, and it's found in me, and I long to give it to you. Kurt Thompson, psychiatrist and Christian author, brilliantly equipped that everyone comes into the world looking for someone who's looking for you. We all come into the world just wanting someone to, to be happy that we're in the world and to see that joy on their face is what cultivates a deep joy in our hearts. And what we come to find is that Jesus is that one. The moment we came into the world, he's excited that we exist. He's the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, and he brings great joy when he sees you enter his world. When we enter the world, every single one, even when we feel utterly alone, there is someone who is utter, utterly delighted that you are in his world, and it's Jesus, and he longs to make you whole, to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. You know, James... The half-brother of Jesus later on in his letter says that every good and perfect gift, it comes from Father up in heaven. Every good and perfect gift. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. Every good thing you experience in life is ultimately anchored and has its source in who God is. But listen, there is no eternal satisfying. There is no forever enjoyment of anything that is apart from Jesus. There may be momentary gifts that we don't deserve, that we may not return even back to praise, but there is no eternal satisfaction outside of Jesus. And whenever we hear, oh, I just got to walk away from this. I got to walk away from Jesus to do this, to find satisfaction. Be sure dissatisfaction is knocking on the door. And then you'll be confused, but you'll feel even more shame and utterly alone. And I just want to cry out to you, don't go down the path that be feels even harder to return. And if you are there and you're here, I want you to know that Jesus is looking for you. You see, Jesus can't be more clear. I'm him. And we go, yeah, but what about that thing over there that my friend has that I don't have? We start playing comparison game or we think back through our history, the good things he has done, and we're frustrated why he doesn't continue to do them exactly the same way today as he did them in the past. And we wrestle through our desires. If we return to Kurt Thompson, I found this just really helpful. Um, he's just a brilliant, he's got brilliant insight on our psyche and how we navigate life. He says, we are, it turns out, out of conscious touch with our deepest longings. 
Of course, we say we desire good relationships, well-paying jobs, comfortable homes, and opportunities to enjoy life in the pursuit of happiness. Those are the things we are willing to admit in public. But privately, our desire for more goods, more ease and convenience, more sex and pleasure, whatever we can addictively turn to that we believe will relieve us from the stress of modern life has us pinned to the ground. Those desires reveal their darker side when they morph into predatory behavior, greed, consumption, and contempt, all of which not only ruin our personal lives, but poison our public lives as well. So let me ask you today, if we're honest, where are you looking for satisfaction? Just a ride home, ride to where I need to go. Sometimes, that's part of it. And Jesus doesn't discount those everyday needs as well. But he doesn't want to stop there, Charlie. He doesn't want to stop with just the present urgent needs. He wants to go to the deep needs to guide us into flourishing life, not just survival, but a whole life that knows him. That, of course, includes communal dynamics and care. And here's what's a warning, friends. The people that completely miss it here are the people who out of anyone should have gotten it. I mean, the scriptures are a part of their educational framework. They spoke the original language. They went to temple. They went to sacrifice. They engaged in the festivals that are shaping your imagination and anticipation as to who God is and how he worked in the past and how he's working in the present. And yet they missed it. Why? Because partly... They were looking for satisfaction through Jesus, not in him. They were looking for satisfaction through Jesus, not in him. Jesus was a means to an end. Jesus, if I follow, you'll give me. Jesus, if I follow, you'll give me. When in reality, what does Jesus say? Pick up your cross and follow me. And anyone who loses his life will find it. Often using Jesus as this glorified talisman to get what we want working through him, rather than seeing that in Jesus, we have the end of our hunger, our deepest hunger. In Jesus, we find the end of our thirst, our deepest thirst. And some of us may be in here thinking, Gabe, you know what? Hey, preacher man. (laughs) I look at verse 35 and I think to myself, I've done that. I have come to Jesus, I believed in him, and one of two things are true. Either you feel fine and you feel like, you know what, God, I've already believed, I'm going to check out. You saw that I'm here, right? We're good? Okay, I'm going to just snooze for a minute. Or you say, I came to you, Jesus, and I believed in you, and it's not been what I thought. One of the two. Well, I want you to hear that this is a message for all of us. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, if you go back to verse 35, it's important to note that he says, I am the bread of life. And it doesn't say, whoever came to me once, whoever believed in me that one point in their life, it has this idea of an enduring condition. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me and stays with me and continues to, when they have those hunger pangs, direct them to me, they're not going to know hunger. Those who believe in me, they continue to trust in me. They'll never thirst. It has this idea of abiding 
We see in verse 56, if you look in your Bibles, Jesus says that whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. This has this remaining constant daily reality where we're turning our deepest desires to Jesus and surrendering them up to him. It's not just a one and done. It's a start and continue. And that doesn't, it's not meant to breed insecurity, but it is meant to give us the appropriate kind of invitation that Jesus longs to meet us daily. And that's where wholeness and fullness comes from is growing in the intimacy with Jesus. Now, the question may come, per what Kurt Thompson said earlier about knowing, not knowing our deepest desires, or we're not wanting to even be honest with ourselves or others about them. The question that came to my mind is like, how do I know if I've never started pursuing Jesus, or I stopped? And the biblical sign that we see here in the rest of chapter 6, that we are not pursuing Jesus to be the deepest satisfaction of our heart, is grumbling. It shows up in verse 41. It shows up in verse 43. And this, once again, is an illusion. It's pointing back to the people of Israel. After they'd experienced all that God had done for them, they start grumbling. And once again, it's easy to look at the people in the Old Testament and be like, look at all that God did for you. And then to look at the people in the New Testament and think to themselves and think to ourselves, Jesus is right there in front of you. If I, no, you wouldn't. This is us. We are meant to see ourselves in the text. It's, for example, it'd be kind of like going on a road trip and you're looking to the left for an off-ramp and there keeps passing off-ramps on the right. And you're like, why aren't there any off-ramps? You're looking in the wrong spot. You're looking in the wrong spot. We get so focused we don't even realize we've been distracted. And so what is grumbling? Grumbling is a kind of complaining without orientation toward God. There is a holy complaint. It's called lament, where you bring that before God, your raw feelings of hurt and anger, but you lay them at his feet. And it actually gives you a category to build solidarity with those who are different or in different places in their life around community. Lament builds solidarity, and it's focused towards God. Grumbling it talks about God, but not to him, and it always talks about other people. Certain races talking about each other. Certain genders just destroying each other. Well, men always do this. Women always do. What in the world? That's grumbling, folks. Beware. <coughs> You're constantly attacking each other and keeping God out of the picture instead of saying, God, what's going on? I, I trust you, but this, oh, I, I don't know if I trust you. And we're together in this. That's significantly different. Grumbling isolates you from people who are other than you and isolates you from God. So beware. If you're being in meetings where that's the case, that is not of God. That's a sign that you started seeking your satisfaction elsewhere. And listen, they had their reasons. They've been in oppression for years. They... They're like, hey, Jesus, you said you're from heaven. I know your parents. This is ridiculous. And, and you still, we're hungry. Where's more of that bread? Like, I mean, come on. I want some bread. And, and frankly, what you're saying is really confusing. So how are we supposed to respond when we have these hunger pangs? What is Jesus ultimately guiding us to? If he's saying, I am the bread, and you come to me, and you, 
Here's where he lands. He says, and John wants us to know, to feed on Jesus in our hearts by faith. It's fascinating language. It comes actually out of a liturgy or a way of kind of people coming together to worship Jesus. And it's really intense language that it's anchored in. Look with me in verses 53 and 54. This is where Jesus goes. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. (laughs) You're right, buddy. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And you're like, eat flesh, drink blood? No way, right? This is crazy. I knew this was a cult. My parents warned me, or my kids warned me, and here I am. Wait, 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 okay? Jesus never meant this literally. This was always meant to be metaphorical richness. Jesus wasn't expecting anyone to come take a chunk out of his arm. Come and eat me. And they're like, all right. You know, it's like, no. Ever since we're toddlers, we're taught not to bite each other, right? Jesus is not overturning that. So nobody get any ideas, okay? The metaphor and the richness of Jesus going back to our hunger and our longing, Jesus goes extremely rich, not cannibalistic, but to say, whatever you're longing for, come and find it and feast on it in me. And of course, this sounds visceral, and frankly, they didn't understand it. This was a really hard saying for those original listeners who were wrestling through what Jesus had to say. I want you to think about those times you go to the grocery store and you're hungry. How many of you make good decisions when you're hungry when you go to the grocery store? <laughs> Nobody, right? Oh, man, that was the loudest groan this whole sermon. <laughs> all right. We all know. We like going and like, ooh, that's good. This is where we get the, the Swiss cake rolls and all this stuff. It's like, oh, man, it's just all the sugary stuff just starts screaming. I get so many carbs. And you're just like, yes. But then if you eat before you go, you can get what's healthy for you for the long run. If you're satisfied before you step into the grocery store, you can show up better. And Jesus is saying, come to me before you go out there because you're going to grab stuff that's junk food. It'll feel good, give you a momentary sugar high, but it will not last. And then you're going to feel the effects and you're going to say, why did I eat that? And we're going, why did you eat that? (laughs) I wasn't a good decision. And then you're going to go to the doctor and the doctor's going to say, stop eating that. Yeah, I keep going to the grocery store hungry. Instead, Jesus is saying, come to me and find that love, that rest, that peace that only I can give. Come to me, and that means be with me. Don't walk by me or get something from me while you're passing me. Come to be with me and then believe in me. Believe what? That I have come from heaven, that I am the God over all creation. I am, and I've come to actually pursue you and to fulfill you. And to bring and bring something that only I can give if you'll come to me and you'll trust me. And he even says, it's found in my flesh and my blood. Of course, that is pointing to the cross where his flesh is torn and his blood is spilled to pay for the debt that we could never pay, that only he could pay for all the ways we've disregarded God and chased after the junk food. And he's saying, no, I'm going to pay for that debt so that you can be whole and you can walk in the life I've designed you to live, a flourishing life. And so we feed on him and our hearts by faith. Now, some folks might say, is this communion? 
Was that Jesus' goal? Well, no, Jesus' goal was not to get people to eat bread. I think we've already said that. He said it again and again and again. The point of this was not that you show up at a table. The point is that you trust Jesus and that that table points you to Jesus too. This text, what Jesus is saying here is saying, come to me. What the table says is come to me. And yes, there's imagery there, but the goal wasn't the table. The goal was Jesus. And the metaphor is definitely captured here, but it is a metaphor where we come and our imaginations are painted and our senses of taste, touch, and smell. As we eat bread and we engage in juice, we recognize that that ultimately won't satisfy us, but it's the one to whom it points that's ultimately satisfying us. So we remember all that he is and we are fulfilled in a richer and more nourishing way. And so when we come to the table to this meal, we proclaim him because it proclaims him to us. And when we eat and when we do feast on him in our hearts by faith, when we come to him for our ultimate satisfaction and we return to him, when those hunger pangs that are guiding us to junk food, we need to redirect them to him and we actually do feast on him. It actually nourishes us. And what does he say at the end here? He says, this is where whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. John chapter 6, verse 58. We come to experience full life in him. Life and life eternal. Life eternal is a categorical different way of living now, a life that's satisfied in him now. So you can show up in those places full. That's a categorically different way to show up into a room, into a meeting, into a friendship conversation, into a conflict, to show up full in Jesus. And then it also, when literal death comes, we can step forward knowing that his resilient life is within us and it will not be the end. You see, all of what Jesus is displaying here are signs pointing to him, to life in him, to life with Jesus daily. And even if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, this is an invitation to return to a daily walk with him. This in the same way you need daily bread, you need daily remembrance of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is an invitation to feast on him, to know him, to know the joy of salvation that only he brings, joy of fullness and rest that only he brings. He's looking for you. So let's not be the kind of people who ignore the signs. <laughs> Eventually, we find ourselves doing foolish things when we ignore the signs. <laughs> he's waiting. Let's go where he's pointing. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much uh, that you care that deeply about us, that you came to fulfill us. And so, God, we ask that in this time and in this place that we would surrender afresh our desires unto you that our deepest of desires and our deepest of longings that we often aren't even comfortable admitting to ourselves or to others, that we would surrender them and experience joy in you. God, would you guide us? Would you help us in a way that only your spirit can empower us to surrender? We need you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.